You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 71. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. Welcome to this week's episode of the Wellness Insider Network. I don't know about you, but in the world where the days fly by faster and faster and the amount of information we're exposed to is exponentially increasing, I'm always looking for something that will keep me focused and sharp. It seems there are more products marketed for their activity on our nervous system. But from my earlier episodes, you probably know that herbs are always my first go-to in the world of substance-based therapies. Today, I'm inviting a previous guest, Maria Noel Groves, to share her expertise on the subject of herbal brain boosters. This is also a chapter in Maria's new book, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, that's coming out today. With more than 20 years of experience in herbal medicine, Maria strives to educate and empower her students, clients, and readers with the foundational belief that good health grows in nature. Maria is a journalist, formally educated by the country's top herbalist. She opened her practice, Wintergreen Botanicals, in 2007. Maria is registered as a professional herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. Maria's first award-winning best-selling book, Body into Balance, was published in 2016 and continues to be listed as a top herbal by various sources and core textbook in herbal study programs across the country. Believe it or not, I own a beautiful hard copy and also invested in the electronic version to carry with me. Maria speaks and writes nationally about medicinal herbs for various organizations, including the American Herbalist Guild, Maryland University of Integrative Health, Herbal Academy, Mother Earth News Fair, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, and Herb Quarterly. By the end of today's episode, you'll get introduced to some of the most useful plants known for their brain-boosting power and figure out how to grow them. I have a cheat sheet to share with you with five plants Maria and I discuss in this episode. So please head over to the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 71 to get that information and also to explore the additional links and references mentioned in today's episode. Enjoy. Good morning, Maria. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm good. How about you? I am very good. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm thrilled to have you back to do this interview. The first time you shared with our listeners your approach to blood sugar regulation, and we had a lot of wonderful feedback. So today, as we prepare to talk about a different yet very interesting topic, I am so curious and excited. You're here with me. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I love this topic, so it'll be fun. I know we talked about your beginnings in the first episode at length, and I will definitely include the link to the episode in the show notes. But today, for those people that have missed it, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you decided that herbal medicine is your path 
Sure. I'll give the the short version, which was that sure. I was in, you know, I've always been sort of interested in plants and nature. And it was something I kind of developed from my mother, something I learned from my mother. But I was in college getting my journalism degree when I really started digging into it more. And so I would do all of my articles about it. I ended up becoming an editor for Natural Health Magazine and I covered their herb beat. And I was working on an article for them on how to become a natural practitioner. And we covered a bunch of different modalities. And when I got to the herbalist one and, and interviewed different people like Aviva Ram and a few others, I was like, oh, I could actually like make a career at this. And uh, also surprising was that maybe I could even potentially make as much money as I did as a journalist, which was not much. So I have low standards, which was helpful because <laughs> <laughs> herbalism is not a super lucrative career. But I but I never really thought about the fact that that could be like a job that I could do. And I was so in love with herbs that I decided to switch gears. And I still, as you know, do a lot of writing about plants and I still do a lot of freelancing for magazines, but becoming an herbalist, teaching about plants and also seeing clients has become uh, a major part of what I do after many years of study. I have about a little more than two, two and a half decades or so of experience working with herbs since that kind of first journey began. That's fabulous. Thank you. So you just mentioned that you have three different prongs in your practice. You see clients, you teach, and you write. And once again, you talked quite a bit about them during the first interview. So I want to invite people to check it out. And today I want to spend a little bit more time on writing and teaching a component of this. So you are an author of two wonderful books. The second one is coming out very soon. And tell us what is the name of this book? So the second book is called Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, which is basically what it's about. So basically, it's similar to my first book in that it's organized primarily by body system, which is somewhat unusual in an herbal gardening book. So the goal is to help people figure out, you know, not just like, oh, here are 20 plants you must grow, but more figure out which five to 20 plants really like are best for the individual. And so looking up by health concern or health topic, health goal, what you might want to work on and then finding the herbs that seem like they might be best suited for you as well as best suited for your gardening conditions because not every plant has the, the same garden gardening conditions. And so, for example, we're going to talk today about brain-boosting herbs, and that's within sort of the broader category of herbs for relaxation, energy, brain, cognitive health, sleeping, and so forth. So we have kind of a big section on those herbs. We have a couple different sort of garden themes for nutritives and flavorful herbs and kind of your daily tonic herbs. We have a pretty big section on digestion and detoxification herbs in different categories within that, uh, such, such as gut healing or increasing digestion or increasing detoxification properties. We have some skin herbs. We have a whole bunch of different topical herb gardens and a few others here and there like heart health and women's health. That's fabulous. So when you wrote your first book and the second uh, one, what was the inspiration? Why did you decide to write them? Well, the first book was based off of, the first book is Body into Balance, and that one was based off of the courses that I teach. And it's actually a pretty similar structure in a lot of the herb schools across the country. And so organized by body system, and it's not specific to just what you can grow. It's kind of all the herbs across commerce, as well as some that you might want to grow and understanding each body system, how it works, how it gets out of balance, and then how to use herbs as well as diet and lifestyle to bring various um, conditions and concerns back into balance. And there are recipes and so forth, although there are many more recipes in the second book. Um, so that was kind of the 
the inspiration for that first book was working from my class notes and putting it in a format that would be more readily accessible to a larger audience and beautifully laid out as story publishing books get so beautifully laid out and being reasonably priced and, and all of that. So that was the inspiration for the first book. Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies is kind of a nice subset because we didn't talk about how to grow plants in the first book. It was really about what the plants were, the body systems, how to use them, how to make remedies, but nothing about how to grow them, what was easy to grow, what was easy to wildcraft. And the publishers actually came to me a couple of years ago. I thought I was like, okay, great. I'm done with the book. I can work on course development and other things. And they came to me and said, hey, we'd really love it if you could write a second book on growing herbs. And I was sort of resistant at first just because one, it's a lot of work to write a book. And I wasn't sure that I was ready to take on that in addition to other things that I was doing in my course development and business. But I really did like the topic and, you know, we did a little bit of back and forth trying to figure out precisely how it was going to be structured. And I love the way that it ultimately came out. So I'm really excited to have this as sort of a separate or a companion book. It's a little bit more easily digestible than the first book. It's a, it's still got a lot of great content, but it's lighter. There are a lot of more beautiful photos. There are a lot more recipes. It's just a, a really easy to work your way through book. I told you before that I am absolutely in love with your first book, Body Into Balance. And I had a privilege to look at your second book. And it's so beautiful and it's so easy to read. Uh, it's just very inspiring. You want to actually grow these herbs. And there is a lot about how to make medicine from these herbs. I am so excited about it. You decided to write this book about growing herbs. Are you a gardener? Where your personal story is in this? Yeah, I am a gardener. I have about two acres of property that I moved into a little over, so it's, I guess, between somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago. And I was fortunate that the previous owner was also an herbal-minded person and did Reiki and flower essences. So we already had a ginkgo tree and golden seal plants and bloodroot and you know mints and lemon balm and motherwort and all sorts of really great plants already on the property. She was incredibly excited. She was sort of retiring and um, moving into smaller housing and so forth. And so she was really excited to see that her property was going to somebody else who would have a passion for the plants. And so that was great. But I, I was a complete newbie at that point in time. And I did everything wrong, um, and which made me realize why you're supposed to do things like weed and mulch because I let everything grow. We have a lot of wildlife that come and eat the plants. And even though the previous owner did do a lot of really great work um, with some of the garden beds enriching the soil, and she was had much more time to devote to like hand, you know, painstakingly taking care of anything, everything, you know, overall, the property has really bad soil, really weird sunlight, and it's in a strange cold pocket. So we get frosts weeks before everybody else. So we have a much shorter season. I'm at least like a half a zone colder than places even just like a mile down the road. And so there were a lot of challenges. And that was one of the reasons why at first I was resistant to the idea of writing a gardening book, because there are other people like Richo Check at um, Strictly Medicinal Seeds that can co any plant into being and just, you know, be, whereas for me, if it, if it can't handle its life on its own without a whole lot of muss and fuss, it's not going to survive in my property. And it took some convincing from Carlene, the, the editor who is kind of in charge of seeing this book into reality that realized like, no, actually that's not a bad thing because I'll, we'll be talking about plants that are really easy to grow. And, you know, I know which plants are going to 
work well for a lot of people so that they're not trying to grow these really prima donna plants and get really frustrated with it. And I, I have learned a lot over the years. And so I do have pretty good experience with the garden and, and gardening now, but my expertise is more in using the plants and what their properties are versus, you know, being really great at growing them from seed, for example. And it's great to hear because, as you know, a lot of this audience is young professionals. Some of them are college students. And so many of the listeners perhaps do not have the place and maybe even the time to grow their herbs. Do you need to have a green thumb? Do you need to have a lot of space to grow herbs? Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. And some of the things that we discussed in the very beginning of the book on how to garden address these. Like, do you need to have a green thumb is the title of one of the sections. And the truth is, is that you really don't. Uh, These plants, especially most of the plants, and if not all of the plants, are really pretty easy to grow. Things like mint and lemon balm, which are some of the plants that we'll be talking about, really aren't that fussy. Rosemary, you know, it can be, it's one of the fussier plants, yet a lot of people still grow it. And you can still usually do pretty good things, whether or not you can get it to overwinter. That's a whole nother question, but you can at least use it within the season with pretty good success. So you really don't need to have a green thumb. These are great plants to start with, especially if you start with seedlings versus trying to start with seeds. That will make your success much, much better. Um, Growing herbs from seedling is actually very easy and easier than, say, growing vegetables or flowers, which are much fussier plants. You have a lot more pests that want to eat them, and they're just more picky about their growing conditions. But growing from seed is a lot more difficult for most medicinal herbs than it would be for vegetables and flowers. And so that makes it a really good place to at least initially start with seedlings. And then if you you know kind of jump over the first couple of hurdles of gardening, you can learn from some other folks like Risho or Juliet Blancaspore and learn how to grow plants from seed. But usually for most people, one plant is plenty. So you don't need to go and plant a, you know, a little packet of maybe a hundred seedlings. Cause what are you, what are you going to do with a hundred seedlings of lemon balm? That's an awful lot of lemon balm. You only really need one or two plants and you can make a ton of medicine just from that. So it's great to kind of have a little bit of a diversity and get to know each plant one-on-one and uh, just kind of gradually grow your garden and gradually grow your skills and gradually grow your relationship with each individual plant. That's perfect. Thank you. But then the other question or the follow-up to this that I have, what about those of us that have a garden on our windowsill? What, What do you recommend to those people? You can still definitely start with plants. And in fact, I did myself when I was back, you know, living in Santa Fe in this little apartment and I had my my little windowsill garden of culinary herbs, which are also, of course, medicinal herbs as well. Anything that we use for culinary herbs are medicinal too. And, uh, and you can definitely grow a lot of herbs in containers. In fact, all the herbs we're going to talk about today for brain health are pretty amenable to containers, but it is more challenging to grow things in a container and it's even more challenging to to grow things indoors because they're just much more susceptible to disease. It's harder to keep the ecosystem just right because you a big part of plant health is their connection to the soil. And usually the soil and the ability to attain moisture from the you know broad area around is going to be more challenging for a plant that's in a pot versus something that's actually in this sort of more dynamic, alive soil. So one of the big areas is being more attentive to watering, which would, includes both not 
overwatering, which is a big problem with container plants. You need to make sure they have good drainage and you're not doing too much watering that it's getting so soggy, but then also not underwatering because pots dry out really quickly too. And so there are different ways to do it. When my outdoor pots, I actually set up drip irrigation on a timer because I'm busy and I just don't have time to be out there watering, you know, in the height of summer twice a day. And uh, you don't have to go that that extra step, but the systems are not really that expensive. I go to Drip Depot, which is not a, um, I have no stock in their company. Mm-hmm. I just like their products. And uh, and then you can also use things like the plant nanny steaks, which you just like put this terracotta steak into your plant and then put a, a reused wine or like one of those big beer bottles upside down with water in it. And that keeps it pretty, you still have to keep an eye on it, but that keeps it closer to an ideal moisture level without you having to be there every day checking on your plant. But you will need to be more careful, you know, making sure the soil is good. You'll probably need to fertilize periodically with something that's in a pot and uh, and just be more mindful of where it is. So you might need to move it around a little bit, uh, whether it's on your you know, on your patio or whether it's inside your house to figure out what spot it likes because they're very particular about light and drafts and exposure to, you know, hot blasts or cold blasts, whether it's from weather or your heater or your window and so forth. So it is a little bit more challenging, but it can definitely be done. And your plants will probably not get anywhere near as big and vibrant as a plant that's planted in the ground, but you still will have enough to work with and really connect on that level with the plant, which is just pretty special to be able to, you know, experience a plant close up in its live state and watch it grow just helps you connect with a plant and its medicine more than say buying it in a pill from a store. You know, it's great that we can buy them and there are lots of great companies out there, but it doesn't quite compare to that like fresh experience of the plant. That's wonderful. And so you're talking about medicine in these plants. So what exactly does someone that grow plants, what is the next step? What do you do with them? So you mean like harvesting and making medicine? So, you know, first off, you've got to grow, you've got to cut it and, uh, and you can do that in different ways. A lot of the plants we're talking about and all the ones we're going to talk about today, we're using the aerial parts, which is the above ground parts. And you don't usually like hack it all down to the ground unless it's the end of the season and it's, you know, you know, it's going to be fine for the plant, but usually you're just going to kind of trim off the top. In the case of a plant like holy basil, it's always flowering. And so you might just pinch back the flowers at first and that'll encourage more growth. But in the meantime, what you've pinched off, you can use that to throw into your water. And you know, one of my favorite ways to work with a lot of the more aromatic mint family plants is to simply harvest them fresh in the summertime and cover them with cold water and just sip that throughout the day. And I'll put them in a pretty container that I glass that I can see through. And it's a, a conversation conversation piece for others. But also for yourself, it's just a really beautiful way to experience the plants. They're just lightly medicinal, um, very aromatic. I'll often throw an edible flower or two, like a rose blossom or maybe some violet flowers in the early season and just give a little extra beauty to that. And so that's one great way that you can work with them that's very simple. And then as time goes on and you get more plant material, you can dry them for tea. You can use them fresh as tinctures, do alcohol extracts. You can make vinegar extracts, cordials, honey extracts, and hydrosols, which are more of an aromatherapy remedy that you can make at home and so forth. So there are just many ways. And the book does cover, both of my books cover basic remedy making and the new one, it's in the the beginning of the book and the old one, it's in the end of the book, but they at least give you those basics. And then there are specific recipes to try with the herbs as well. That's beautiful. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about brain boosting herbs. 
Uh, mm-hmm. What are they? Why would someone want to use them? How do you grow them? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I love the brain boosting herbs category because there are a lot of plants that the first off the ones we're going to talk about are all generally really safe and several of them are pretty familiar. So you probably are growing if you have a garden you probably are already growing lemon balm, mint whether it's spearmint or peppermint or both and you might also be growing rosemary. And so those are three really big ones. Sage is another one that I don't use as much as the other ones, but it's another one that help is helpful for brain boosting. And then you have some other plants that are a little bit more exotic yet have a really long history of use in Ayurveda as tonics and edible plants and in, even used in children in Ayurveda. And so those would be bacopa and gotukola. And they're all pretty easy to grow. Bacopa and go-to cola really want to be growing in like sludgy, swampy kind of soil. So for me, I grow them in pots and then you can actually just sort of like you know, most plants do not want to be in a pot that's waterlogged, but these plants actually do want to be in a plant in a pot that's waterlogged. So I have them in this really damp corner of the the yard where they get like this, the the hose is dripping a little bit. They collect that, and then they also get pretty regular drip irrigation. If you have them indoors, you can actually like sit them in the dish, the pot, in a little bit of a dish of water, and uh, and they will overwinter that way because in most ecosystems they're not going to grow throughout the winter outside. They're tender perennials, and they want to be they want to be in India. They don't want to be uh, in the United States, or at least most of the United States. But uh, but they're all pretty easy to grow and they're fun to work with, especially those aromatic mint family plants. They're delicious. And well, (laughs) Bacopa is not very delicious, but all the other ones are pretty delicious and you can just do a lot of really fun things with them. So, So that's one side of it. The other side of it is just that there's really great research on all of them. It's still preliminary, but there are a lot of small human studies that have been done that have shown us, you know, really good ways of using the plants and the, and the capacity that they have for helping with brain boosting function. And then we also have a lot of tradition of use. All of these plants have a very long history of thousands and thousands of years of use for as cognitive herbs as a, a nootropic, which is nootropic is a term that means smart drug. Mm-hmm. And so we can use it for herbs, for herbs that are good for brain health, cognition, preventing uh, cognitive disorders, as well as also, you know, potentially helping in various cognitive concerns. And so whether that's just helping you get through exam season or keep your focus during work time, or whether it's something a little bit more in depth, like working with attention deficit disorder in children or adults, or helping to potentially prevent or delay cognitive um, decline with aging, or even helping to support somebody who's going through traumatic brain injury. There are a lot of applications for these herbs, and they're, they are often relatively fast acting. Some of them have really nice slow building tonic effects as well. And so they're just a really neat group of herbs. And most of us, whether or not we have a quote-unquote condition that relates to cognitive well-being, most of us could use a little extra perk in our brain. You know, we could be a little bit more focused or a little bit more energized or a little bit calm and focused. And so I, I feel like this group of plants speaks to a lot of different people. So how do you begin working with them? In in which way? So, okay, you have grown the herbs, right? Or maybe you have purchased them. What do you do with them? How do you incorporate them into your life? How do you bring them in? 
You can do that in a bunch of different ways. So one way to work with, especially the more aromatic mint family herbs like lemon balm, rosemary, and uh, mints is to just use them fresh. So especially if you have grown them fresh or even mint, you can go to the grocery store or to the farmer's market and pick up a fresh bunch of mint pretty easily. Rosemary, the same thing, and even sage. Lemon balm, you might have to find somebody who's specific to medicinal herbs. But, uh, But you can work with them fresh and you can just make those infused waters. You can dry them for tea. You can um, chop them up and shove them in a jar and cover them with alcohol or glycerin or vinegar or honey and make a wide range of different remedies. And uh, and those are all really easy to make. Most of herbal remedy making is putting chopped fresh or dry herb into a jar. You cover it with your solvent of choice, you know, alcohol or uh, honey or vinegar or so forth. And then you let it steep for anywhere from two to four weeks, and then you strain it out. And that's your your extract. Maybe you'll take a spoonful or maybe a dropper full of that remedy, especially the alcohol extracts are pretty potent. So you usually just need a little bit of those. And most of these plants do extract better in alcohol when they're fresh. So I work a lot of the time with them as tinctures, but I also use them as fresh and dry teas quite a bit too. And for those aromatic herbs, the fresh is nice, but also Actually, inhaling them is helpful. A lot of the research has been done on inhaling them as essential oils, and then quite a bit has just been on using them internally in different herbal remedy techniques. So I like something that you can smell as you take it. So tinctures do work for that, but teas are excellent. So you can do a lot of really fun things with tea. Goju cola and bacopa are not as tasty and they're not really aromatic, but you can still incorporate them as tea, especially goju cola is pretty good for that. And uh, and you can also use goju cola in your food as a fresh green and you can use bacopa as a tincture or a capsule. It's Bacopa is pretty t- nasty tasting. It's kind of like chewing on tea leaves or drinking overbrewed black tea. So you might not want to put that in your tea, but you could, or maybe just a tiny, tiny bit, but you could use it in something that you get over quickly, like a tincture or a capsule. Is it true that in India, bacopa are used for juicing? Bacopa is probably used as a juice sometimes, but the go-to cola is used more often mm-hmm. like a juice. Mm-hmm. And so pennywort juice is one of the names for it. It's sometimes called pennywort or hydrocodyl, which are names that also go with other plants. But when you're buying it in Thailand per se, you know, or, or in Asia, you'll often find that it's go-to cola. And it's kind of got a, a unique flavor. It, I suspect that go-to cola picks up the flavors of the soil because I've ha- bought some that taste like seaweed but mine has never tasted like seaweed that I've grown. Mine tend to taste a little bit more like either, you know, kind of like that dirt kind of flavor, you know, that earthy, perfumey dirt, almost dryer sheet way um, that they can get that flavor in it. They can also taste a little bit like parsley or watercress, and they are sort of related to the parsley family plant. Uh, Goto cola is in between the ginseng family and the parsley family botanically. So lately it's categorized in the parsley family, but it's it's sort of more in between than it is exactly one or the other. Very interesting. It's not super surprising that it tastes kind of like parsley or celery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maria, could you tell us a little bit about the herbs themselves? Yeah. So the five herbs that I feature in the brain boosting garden are goju cola, bacopa, rosemary, lemon balm, and mint. Although there are other ones that are also good like holy basil and ashwagandha, hawthorn, sage, and so forth. But for those plants, um, rosemary, 
lemon balm, and mint are all really easy to grow mint family plants, and they have aromatic properties to them. And according to the research, they help with our cognitive well-being, at least in part by inhibiting the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine. So acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter in our body that's very important. You know, we need it to think properly. We need it to be able to move our muscles. And we see that as we get older with dementia and cognitive decline, that the acetylcholine levels start to go down. And there's an enzyme called acetylcholinesterase that breaks down that acetylcholine. And what these mint family plants seem to do is to go in and inhibit that enzyme from breaking down as much acetylcholine. So basically, the end result is when you take these herbs on a regular basis, you get a little bit more of that neurotransmitter floating around your body, which is going to make it easier to function. And so there is quite a bit of research on this, but there are probably a lot of other benefits to those plants too. They're also anti-inflammatory. They're also very antioxidant. They're also circulation enhancing. And all of those activities are going to help your brain function better by reducing inflammation in the brain, reducing oxidative stress, and helping the nutrients flow in and out through better circulation. And so the research has been really cool. On rosemary, they found that whether you're ingesting it or inhaling it, it um, I've got my little notes here so I can refer to a few of those things that it helped with perspective and retrospective memory. So prospective memory is when you're like, oh, I got to remember to do this when I, you know, to buy this product when I get to the store, I need to remember to do that. And for your ability to actually remember to do that without having a to-do list and so forth is your perspective memory. And then retrospective memory, uh, memory is basically remembering what you did before. So, you know, recalling a story from your childhood. So rosemary taking that regularly for a month. Um, in this particular study, they had university students taking it in capsule form, but, uh, but you can use other forms like teas and tinctures and so forth. And they found that it was really helpful, especially when they took it for a full month in a, in a relatively low dose. Their anxiety dropped, their depression dropped, and their sleep scores got better as well, which is really nice. So that's a good one for just kind of being more perky and alert and having more focus would be rosemary. And I, one of my favorite ways to use rosemary is to just take a fresh sprig, put it in a cup of hot water, ideally with a lemon wedge. And it's just this really yummy, it also helps you digest your food better, but it's also this really tasty sugar-free tea that you can have while you're working in the office. And if it's summertime, you could maybe do like a fresh sprig of mint and rosemary together in cold water. And that would be another great way to get that herb into your system. Lemon balm, you know, it still has a lot of aromatics that are important, but it's a little bit more calming than rosemary, which is more of kind of like one of your perky herbs. So I really love to use lemon balm when people are kind of like agitated and have a hard time focusing, they're irritable, they're hyperactive. So whether it's children, adults, elders, you know, anywhere in between there, there's been a lot of nice research and a pretty wide range of things. And that also has been shown to help with memory and help even just one hour, you know, even within just one hour of taking a moderately high dose of lemon balm, they found that people's anxiety levels dropped, but at the same time, their focus increased. And that study, they were using a capsule, which is probably the least effective way to use lemon balm. And so it may be that if you're using a fresh plant tincture or really good quality tea, that you do better with an even smaller dose. There were some studies of other forms of lemon balm that found that if they did the higher dose, people were more sleepy and that that actually kind of impeded their ability to focus. So you can just play around. Since it acts so quickly, it's easy to figure out what your sweet spot of a dose would be. And they've done studies with it using it topically in a cream and found that with folks who had pretty severe Alzheimer dementia that 
it didn't reverse it by any means, but they were calmer. They were more socially interactive. Um, they were just in a, in a better state than they were if they didn't have lemon balm in their creams that were being applied to their body. And, uh, and it's just a really nice herb for, like I said, that irritation, agitation, anger, um, hyperactivity, scattered brain, kind of people who are kind of anxious but can't focus at the same time. Lemon balm is a great herb to consider for that. And it's super kid-friendly. You know, all of these herbs you could use for kids, but lemon balm is one of the most kid-friendly of them. And then uh, peppermint and spearmint are also good for more of that perky alert mm-hmm. state. Um, with peppermint, almost all the research has been done on either inhaling it or chewing it like in chewing gum, uh, which even just chewing gum has been shown to improve your cognitive abilities, which is kind of interesting. But then making it peppermint gum is even better. And so people who are inhaling peppermint did better on clerical tasks. Mm-hmm. So they were faster and and they were more accurate with things like alphabetizing and typing and memorizing. And uh, they were more alert and their memory was better when they were inhaling peppermint. And so, and rosemary tends to do kind of similar things. So I often I'll combine those two together in aroma. And whether you're using an essential oil and diffusing it in the air, or you're just doing something as simple as rubbing the plant if you're out in the garden and inhaling it or making a tea with it, and then you're inhaling the herb at the same time as you're taking the herbs. Um, those are both great, great ways to use those plants. Um, spearmint and, and the, all this research on spearmint has been on a pill form of like one company who makes a specific spearmint product. So it definitely has that bias of being funded by the company. But in these studies, they tested healthy adults as well as adults that were starting to have some memory impairment uh, that was age-related and found that it did improve their working memory, their spatial working memory, which is like when you're, you know, out in the woods and you're like, wait a minute, which way do I go back? You know, that would be your spatial memory, which is important as we get older because you want to make sure you can get back home from the grocery store and so forth. And, uh, and also help people sleep better, but yet be more alert in their wakeful hours. And, uh, and then we have go-to cola and bacopa. And those are classic brain tonics. They're both called Brahmi sometimes in India. So I don't like to use that term because it can be unclear which plant we're talking about. But both of the herbs are better as long-term tonics and relatively high doses, especially go-to cola. You could take as much of an ounce um, of the dried herb per day, which is a, a large amount. And you'll get You'll get the best effects from that, but if you're using your more your like typical teaspoon, tablespoon, you'll get some modest results from that as well. And then over time, it, they really kind of build up to help improve cognition. They both are really good for helping to heal the nerves, mm-hmm. to help prevent damage to the nerves in the brain, and also to help heal if there has been damage, whether it's from, say, age-related decline or traumatic brain injury or something of that nature. It's, they seem to be very helpful there. There are only a handful of human studies, but most of them have been pretty good with you know pretty decent results. And so both of those are just really nice brain tonics. And But they do take longer. I wouldn't take go-to cola and expect the next day that you're going to do great on your exam. But if you took them on a regular basis, you'll often find that your brain just seems sharper. And especially if you go for the higher doses of the go-to cola, you'll notice faster results with that. And I remember someone recommending doing things like pesto and variety of other edible ways of incorporating, I think it was on go-to cola to try to get as much of it as you can. 
Yeah, I have encountered, I've met a couple different people from places, especially Sri Lanka. I've never been to Sri Lanka, but I've, I've had students and friends who are from Sri Lanka and they just seem very passionate about plants and they really use them a lot. So when we get to go to Kola, they're like, oh yes, I love that plant. You know, yeah, you can just saute it up with some onions and garlic and a little bit of oil and, and you can make pesto with it. And I know KP Kalsa, who does a lot of work with Ayurvedic plants, he will recommend making a like Indian style sag with it. So he'll combine it with spinach because the flavor of go-to cola, it's palatable, but it's not amazing. So it incorporates well with your more like palatable herbs. Bacopa is pretty nasty tasting. It's like chewing on tea leaves or aspirin. So usually we're just getting that over with quickly, as I mentioned before with the flavor. But go-to cola is, is amenable to juicing. A lot of the classic uses around go-to cola were for juicing it and taking the juice, which is a really concentrated way of taking it sort of similar to taking a whole ounce of dry herb, drinking even like a small amount of the juice because it takes such a large amount of plant material to make just a little bit about it of juice. Um, those can be really great ways to use it as well. If you have enough of it to do that, it's, that's a lot of plant material. And so if you're using a lot of this plant material and it's dry, I remember uh, the recommendation, I think it was KP uh, that was recommending rehydrating it. Is that correct? Well, rehydrating it, but rehydrating is uh, basically like making a tea. So if you're a mate, you can make a, a big batch of tea with it, or you could, um, when he does the spinach sock, he'll kind of like rehydrate, pull out a couple of the twiggy things because the mm -hmm. whole plant is used. It's sort of like a, a almost viney like plant. And so pick out some of the twigs if they seem like they're going to be too tough and then rehydrate that and then kind of squeeze it out. So you've got this, this sort of squishy dried plant material and then cook your spinach in with that mm -hmm. and continue on. And I, he probably, I've never made the dish. I've heard him speak about it though. Mm -hmm. And you can find lectures of his online for free where he talks about go-to cola and cognitive health. This is great. Thank you so much. Very interesting. So can you talk a little bit about the safety considerations? Are these herbs safe in general? What are you Generally speaking, yes, they're very safe, which is another reason why I really like them. Um, we already know a lot of them from culinary use. And rosemary is one that's more of a low-dose plant. You don't really need high doses. And in fact, in some of the studies, they found that when they use the really high dose, you know, if they use 10 times more of the herb, it was it actually worsened cognition, whereas using more of like a low food-like dose seemed to improve cognition. So you don't necessarily need a lot of them. Um, sage, even though it's pretty well tolerated, does have some potential concerns with thujone content, which is a constituent that as an isolated compound is potentially carcinogenic. Whether or not it's a big concern in the whole form of sage is kind of up for debate, but I don't use that one as much for that reason. And it's also a plant estrogenic, a phytoestrogenic plant. But Generally, you know, lemon balm, you can consume very large quantities of. Mints are usually well tolerated. You know, maybe if you're sensitive with reflux, peppermint might be a bit too strong, but spearmint's usually still fine. And uh, bacopa and go-to cola are really pretty gentle, safe remedies that can be used in very large quantities and still have good results. You want to make sure that you have good quality plant material, especially if it's coming from India. It might be either just low quality or it could be contaminated with um, toxins or Or, um, fecal bacteria or something like that. So that's why knowing your source is really important, especially with those plants, because they like to grow in sludgy conditions. And, you know, really ideally, they would love to grow in sewage sludge. And sometimes that's where they're being harvested from. Um, or, you know, I, I've heard stories, you know, Michael Moore had a story about finding a Calcutta um, 
think his was a race ticket. And then Michael Tierra had a story about finding a Calcutta train ticket in their dried go-to cola that they bought from India years ago. And so you have to wonder where these plants are being harvested from. And so whenever possible, I try to get them from local or organic farms or from a company like Mountain Rose Herbs that tests for quality on the plant material that they get in from other countries just to kind of help ensure that you've got good stuff that you're working with. And that's a good uh, follow-up question for me. When you are not growing these herbs, but actually purchasing them, you mentioned mountain rose herbs. Any other places that you would recommend? Yes. If you can find a a farm that's local to you that grows the plants organically, that's excellent. You know, it's possible that maybe in, say, New England, they won't develop quite the same constituent profile that they would in, you know, hot India, but I, the quality is still so much better. And so, for example, one of the farms that I've become very fond of is iFarm. So it's sort of like iPhone, but it's iFarm. And they're based in Massachusetts on the North Shore. And so they're a relatively new farm. And I've been really impressed. They do grow go-to cola and bacopa and lemon balm and holy basil. And these are all plants that the quality, even, you know, when you're getting them from good, you know, sort of international suppliers is kind of, you know, iffy. So when you're, and when you buy them from these farms that have just harvested them and really given them close attention to detail, the quality is amazing. Another place that I like to get holy basil and lemon balm from, because even though these are really easy to grow plants, the quality on in commerce is kind of iffy because they might lose, you know, if they're exposed to too much heat or if they've been stored for too long, they just lose their potency. And so Zach Woods Herb Farm in Vermont is a great place to get those herbs and you can get them from iFarm as well. But these are relatively small farms, so their supply is not always able to meet the demand. And it's good to just kind of look around because there are often, you know, these growing herb farms and it's a challenging business growing herbs for sale dry. It's not something that is super lucrative and you will pay more for herbs that are grown that way. It costs a lot more to grow an herb organically in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont or in Massachusetts on the North Shore than it does to grow a plant in India where the cost of living is a lot lower and they've got year-round growing conditions and so forth. So, you know, expect to pay two to even four times more per ounce than you would for something that's on the inter- from the international market. But the quality is just vastly so much better. And so that can be a really great way to get all of these herbs if you're not growing them yourself. You know, peppermint, spearmint, you can get pretty good peppermint and spearmint from almost anywhere. They dry pretty well. But for some of those other plants like lemon balm and holy basil, go-to cola and bacopa, um, it's great to buy those directly from the farm. And then the other question that I had earlier, you talked about uh, growing herbs from seedlings. So what are some of your go-to places to, to buy these seedlings? Links. So you can find your local folks as well, but if you want to buy them online and have them shipped to you, the Strictly Medicinal Seeds in Oregon is a really great one. Uh, Companion Plants in Ohio is another one. There are a few others that are listed in the book, but those are the two that I've used for things that I just couldn't find locally. And also I wanted to kind of test out to see how how well they would ship. And both companies really impressed me. And I was kind of lazy. I didn't want to pay for overnight shipping 
because, and then these are live plants. So, you know, you don't want them to get frozen. You don't want to get have them get cooked. You don't want them to get banged around too much in transit. But I did priority mail. So they got here in like two to three days and I made sure to order at the beginning of the week. So that way they wouldn't have a weekend in transit. And I ordered for, for us, May is a good time, mid-May. It was a good time because it's not too cold or too hot for things being shipped and everything arrived in beautiful condition. You could see too that the, the farms had done a great job packaging up the plants so that they would survive this, you know, transit across half of or all of the country because I'm out in New Hampshire. And but if you can get them from local growers, that's even better because one, it's going to be less expensive. You're not having to pay shipping, and you know, two, the plants are going to be grown in an ecosystem that is, you know, more like yours. And so you'll have to search around. But around here in New Hampshire, some of my favorite places are the New Hampshire Urban Garden Day. We have an annual. The New Hampshire Herbal Network has an annual event in June. And there's just a really awesome plant sale. So it's a lot of organic local growers growing a really wide selection of herbs. And I can usually get all of them. Bacopa, I haven't seen there, but all the other plants that I'm talking about, I have found through those those suppliers. We have one, um, Warner River farm or Warner River Organics that grows most of these plants. And I get a lot from him. He even has go-to cola. Um, Zach Woods Herb Farm, if you ever come across them, they're in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, but they do ship online. And then they also often will attend various herb conferences and sell plants there. So if you're at an herb conference, especially in springtime, but even throughout the year, you can often get plants from vendors at those events. If you're in Massachusetts, the Herb Pharmacy, which is in Salisbury, Mass., which is right near us. It's right on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. They have a huge selection. So usually I start with the herb growers that are around me. I also have one that's right up the street called uh, Foundwell Farms, and she does a lot of native plants as well as a variety of seedlings, including a lot of the ones that we're talking about today. And uh, and so I start with her, and then I go to Urban Garden Day, and then whatever I can't find there, I'll go to the herb pharmacy. And then if there are a few other things that I know I'm going to have a hard time finding, I'll order those in mid-May from one of the online suppliers. So you can kind of do that research in your own area, depending upon where you are, you know, you might have different farmers, you know, or herb organizations and so forth. Garden clubs will sometimes sell or medicinal herbs as well. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. Maria, tell us again the name of the book that is coming out. Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies. And where would someone be able to purchase it? Well, I definitely love it when people get signed copies through me because that's the the best way to support my work. And uh, that's wintergreenbotanicals.com. And you can pre-order or if this is after the release, you can just order and it'll get shipped to you. And uh, and, and you'll also get various book bonuses. Like we're putting together an ebook of all these various um, plant profiles and sections that had to get cut from the book for space. And so we're packaging it up as an ebook that will be a bonus for those folks. But you can also get it anywhere books are sold. So I know, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Books. I'm pretty sure you can get it as a pre-order through any of those. And then certainly any place once it actually releases should be able to get it for you, whether they carry it in stock or not. Or books are kind of funny because some of the big big box stores don't always carry herbal books, but they should at least be able to order it for you if they don't already carry it. That's wonderful. And so where can our listeners learn more about you and from you, not just your website, but also your social media? 
they can find out about me, of course, through the website and which is wintergreenbotanicals.com. And then also through Facebook, I have a Wintergreen Botanicals Facebook page that I'll post things on. And then I have an Instagram page, which is Maria Noel Groves on there. And uh, those are the two places I'm most active. They do also post automatically to Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, you'll see my reposts there, but I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook. My last question for you is uh, if you can offer any words of wisdom or parting thoughts for our audience on brain boosters or gardening, that would be wonderful. Sure. I'll kind of give some advice on just generally growing herbs. And that is to start with just one or two or three plants. You know, it's not that you need to be growing 20 plants all at once. Um, Start with a few and just get to know them, work with those plants, try them, um, spend time just being with the plants out in the garden. You know, they all have their various levels of wisdom to share with us and you'll make a much greater connection with the plants. So you're less likely to get overwhelmed too. It's like with anything, if you try to bite off a lot, it can get overwhelming. And then by the end of the season, you just give up. Whereas if you keep it really manageable with just one or two or three or four or five plants and really experiment and play with and experience them, you'll have a lot more joyful experience. And then you can always expand your garden more in future years. But that's a great way to to get started. That's wonderful. Maria, thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Best wishes, best of luck with the book. And thank you again. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation on herbal brain boosters and ways of growing them with Maria Noel Groves. You can find Maria's guide on five brain boosters we discussed in the episode and all the links mentioned today in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 71. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Maria's new book, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies. Maria has created a special book bonus deal. If you order her new book at the link in the show notes by April 20th of this year, 2019, you'll receive several special bonus items, including juicy bonus ebooks filled with several additional plant profiles, a guide to medicinal uses of common culinary herbs, medicinal mushroom booklet, and useful charts. Also, exclusive remedy-making videos featuring fabulous recipes from brain-boosting, tummy-soothing, and immune SOS section of the book. Maria also will include 10% off on her online herbal study course series, the Home Herbalist series or the Beyond the Home Herbalist series. And at last, you'll get $5 off coupon for the online $50 seed order at Strictly Medicinal Seeds. This episode is also brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs. Mountain Rose Herbs is an online purveyor of the highest quality organically grown herbs and spices, teas, essential oils, and botanical goods. In 1987, the company made it their mission to provide plant lovers with exceptional organic botanicals harvested with the utmost respect for the places they grow and the people who grow them. Since then, the company has never ceased to reimagine what good business can accomplish working to turn their dreams into reality. Long ago, I learned the importance of voting with my wallet, supporting companies and individuals doing amazing work. 
I have interviewed the company's COO, Jennifer Garrity, a little while ago, and hope that my conversation that's linked in the show note will inspire you to wholeheartedly support this company. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about Mountain Rose Herbs. As the listener of the Wellness Insider Network podcast through April 30th, 2019, you can get 20% off your purchase at the Mountain Rose Herbs site by entering a coupon code WIN20, W-I-N-20, in the card during the checkout. I know you'll enjoy your purchases as much as I do mine. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.